0: What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Patchy, and joined by co-host, Dave. End of the year, trying to fit in all these topics, trying to get to all these things going on. How are you feeling about this week? Feeling good. Feeling good. Nostalgia wrapped.
1: We're here, baby. <laughs> December. Let's go.
0: Yeah. We're gonna be talking rap. We're gonna be talking the sights and sounds poll that just came out. Uh, the updated after ten years. We've got some music. We got a TV show. We've got a concert to talk about. But as Dave aforementioned, Spotify Wrapped hitting all of our Spotify's this past week, as well as all of our Instagram stories and our Twitter feeds. Um, Dave, is Spotify Wrapped the best way to like say we're tracking you? That any company has thought of so far?
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. See, and that's the thing. Why, why, why I like it so much is they're tracking you either way. So at least make it fun. At least give me <laughs> something more, you know? And I'll take it one step further because I'm so interested in this. I would pay more to have more data insights about myself. <laughs> now, I know that's not most people, but I do Ooh. find it quite interesting.
0: Dave, just coming to the uh, the data mining uh entities that rule our social media driven world i don't have an alexa
1: in my home so there's no always on microphone listening to everything i literally ever say so
0: i'm doing better than most that's true i i have two alexas in my home and uh, a google nest it's very confusing um yeah dave i mean before we get into just like the general like takeaways from spotify Wrapped, how did you feel about your Wrapped this year
1: uh good good you know i always find it very interesting because you know in the lead up to it as uh, december turns you're always wondering like what is it sometimes you might have a decent idea i think for us too i've definitely noticed this in past years if i like did like a discography like catch up or re-listen in full that kind of like by default brings an artist into the top five for me Mm -hmm. on the year um Didn't actually have that this year, but I remember in the past when we've done album rankings, it's like just so obvious. But uh, this year actually seemed quite genuine, just on what I was listening to and what uh, I was digging. So it's always cool to see exactly what that was. I I do enjoy like that top songs playlist where you really get like the full rundown of Uh, your top like fifty or whatever it is. mm -hmm. That's always cool.
0: Yeah, you know, this year I, the two things you mentioned, like having an artist discography, uh, totally ruin your top five. That happened this year for me with the weekend. Go check out those uh, rankings. Man, that was YouTube. early in com. the year
1: too. You couldn't, you couldn't fix it, huh?
0: You know, you know what else I noticed though is, um, I'm a big like listen to podcasts to like go to sleep to guy. So that means that a lot of times I fall asleep and the podcast keep playing. And mm-hmm. so my my, my top pod- podcast is not one of my favorite podcasts. It's just uh one that is fairly uh relaxing to listen to so uh you know a little skewed in that sense i think also uh getting married this year we were doing a lot of listening to like best wedding songs which was great <laughs> wedding songs are very enjoyable but doesn't necessarily speak to my uh personal taste all the time yeah. so uh n- not my favorite spotify wrapped this year i'm kind of over wrapped if i'm gonna be completely honest but interesting people love it
1: what are your top genres uh
0: year? it was pop rock, rap, um, then it was indie rock, and uh, I forgot what the last one was. There's was something very generic.
1: Yeah, okay, that's funny. So for me, it was rap, pop, K-pop, debut in the top five for me, UK Ooh. hip-hop, and then number five, Hollywood. What the fuck is Hollywood music, my guy?
0: <laughs> I have no idea. Just listening to, uh, I don't know, it's a Hollywood band. I don't even know. Father John but, Misty on repeat. Like, like what, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know it's uh, they have ridiculous stuff I mean like this year they did the um what was it the like you're listening, listening personalities new, yeah new listening personality and my mine was like uh relaxing calming morning and then it was like chill relaxing afternoon and then guess what my right evening was relaxing heartbreak evening and I was like what are we talking about here first of all I'm just listening to chill music all the time just a chill mm. guy
1: My listening personality was the early adopter, which I actually think is pretty fitting. Um, in terms of I'm always listening to new stuff and it's like a volume game for me, both in terms of covering stuff on the pod, but also just listening to a lot of stuff we don't cover. So I was like, actually that that kind of tracks with like how I use Spotify. I think the other thing for me too is like I like sixty thousand minutes for music, forty something for pods, but like I also have my own music library, so a lot of like my re-listening of older songs is not tracked via Rap, so it's not the full, uh, you know, dive on what I actually listen to. Just of course in Spotify. Um, what was your number one artist? What was your number one song?
0: Uh, number one song was "Baby I'm Yours" by the Arctic Monkeys, which was my wedding song, my first dance. So uh, unsurprising. We. Okay. Listen to it a lot in order to like practice the dance and whatnot, mm-hmm. uh but honestly, only listen to it according to Spotify like thirty times, so that's mm-hmm. my number one song thirty times, I guess I'm just not re-listening really to a lot of stuff uh number one artist was the Weeknd, which right. Oh, right. Uh, I said yeah. yeah not not my number one artist for the year. <laughs> what about uh, you?
1: My number one artist was Drake, which is not surprising. he did release two new albums this year uh and my number one song was Ladbro Grove, the grime song by AJ Tracy, which I was super hyped to see at number one. I love that song. Number two, though, was a song I thought would be number one, which is Shut Down by Blackpink, because I'm just obsessed with that song. And Blackpink was my number two artist.
0: The 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 Blackpink love is real. Dave, outside of our own personal Spotify raps, which uh, if you want to know more about our musical taste, just listen to the podcast. But what do you take away from some of the global trends and data that was put out there? You know, Bad Bunny, number yep. one, uh, most streamed artist in the world, followed by T-Swift, Drake, The Weeknd, because of this guy in BTS. Yeah, But uh, the U.S., very similar. You know, just throw Kanye in there instead of Taylor. Uh, or not, instead of, instead of Taylor, instead of um, BTS, sorry. Mm-hmm. But what else did you take away from it?
1: Yeah, I think if you look at the global charts, you look at the U.S. charts, you look at male, female, mixed, whatever it is, I think the big takeaway, which has been kind of talked about already a lot this year, is that there's not really any new stars. You are seeing lots of people in the top five that didn't release new music this year. You know, Olivia Rodrigo, top 10 female artists in the U.S. this year. Doja Cat, same thing. You know, those albums are old, but those songs stuck around. It's a big thing about how playlisting works. About, I think just how hard it is for new, new, new artists to to break through. You know, you had Juice World, top five male artists in the United States. The posthumous album was last summer. You know, um, Morgan Wallen. That album was quite old, but that guy's just never leaving the chart. You know, stuff like that. Um, if you look at the songs, number one as it was, I think that was pretty predictable. But number two is Heat Waves, Glass yeah, Animals, fuck? which I feel like. <laughs> I thought that had peaked last year. I was obviously wrong. Um, number three, Kid Leroy and Bieber, Stay. Same thing. Never mind. Um then <laughs> doesn't you had, make any sense. You had some Bunny songs. You had Cold Heart by Dew and Elton, apparently sticking around in, in earnest this year. Number 10 was Kate Bush running up the hill. That's cool to see given the phenomenon that was, of course. Um, yeah, I think that, that's a little, that's my big takeaway, is, is that a ton of artists were able to dominate without new drops especially on the female side doja billy ariana rihanna nikki sizza olivia like you know Mm -hmm. the people of yesterday are still here today still still killing it (laughs) new music be damned so whether that's a good thing whether that's a bad thing i do think it is not the best that there was like no like true like top tier breakout you know it just feels like there's there's not enough room for it right now with the way these trends are shaking out so it'll be interesting to see how that continues in the years to come
0: yeah you know it's it's really perplexing in a sense because um it, while i think as you laid out it makes sense that we would see this and on the other hand like you would think someone like Blackpink who is just so so big and on the rise put out an album this year that you would see them like taking on some of these female artists like spaces now they're in the top five k-pop obviously but yeah i, I expected to see them a little bit higher on some of these things right
1: so so I, lo- I looked at the k-pop data too and what was quite interesting to me globally number one bts number two blackpink no surprise there however in the united states twice was ahead of blackpink i would have never guessed that wow
0: huh that's that's fascinating. Uh, I guess uh I did anecdotally did hear that their tour at MSG was very rowdy, so yeah. maybe that that makes more sense. than I give it credit for, right. you know, just like other like random stuff. So some of the things shared were like songs with the most shared lyrics globally. So people sending lyrics back and forth to each other. Uh, like old songs. Heat Waves was number one. But then you have uh, a song by Conan Gray called Heather. And then you had the, the the running at the top five was Summertime Sadness by Lana Del Rey and Summer Only We Know by Keen. Like what or why are people sharing these these lyrics? Like I, I need to know more about why this is huh. happening. I can't say I've ever shared lyrics with Spotify anyway. So, Me neither, but apparently people are doing it. Um, you, really, you, know, you, really have to, you really have to share Heatwaves lyrics. <laughs> you can just like <laughs> type that one out. <laughs> Heatwaves keep freaking me out. I mean, you know. If you know, you know, um, it, it was all
1: the British people when they had the, the crazy heat in Europe. They're <laughs> just like, fuck, I don't have air conditioning here. Let me send you this <laughs> song.
0: Yeah, the, the the Spotify streaming was actually what's causing the, the energy crisis over there. So little well, did we know um, some of the most pop- popular podcasts, Dave, Joe Rogan. Thoughts on that? No surprise. He's no. The, the, at the top. Usually makes sense. Call her daddy with their uh, their gluck gluck. Was it? Gluck luck three thousand? Nine thousand. Yeah. Uh um, coming at number two both globally and domestic. Now that and is crime impressive. Junk, yeah, c- crime junkie rounding out uh in the top both top fives. And then in the US, um, the daily and armchair expert with Dak Shepard. Dave, why aren't why aren't we in this top five?
1: The Dak Shepard
0: one is perplexing to me. <laughs> uh, yeah. He he gets huge guests. He just had uh uh, Jordan Peele on like last week. Sure. And uh, I think Spotify pushes it because I think he's technically part right. of it. Right. I day. think that, that's the takeaway with Call Her Daddy. Spotify yeah.
1: acquires that podcast and serves it up. Yep. You know, and that's good because they spend a lot of money on it. So you might as well get your return. So I guess it does make sense. Absolutely. Any other takeaways? Um, I mean, there's tons of data to look at, but yeah, I think overall just the, the, um, the lack of new stars is, I think, the most evident thing to me but overall i enjoy this kind of like data review i, I find it in- enjoyable both personally and this more macroly to analyze stuff so
0: i'm here for it dave is a confirmed stats guy so uh you drop him all of your spotify stats tell him how many minutes you listened, to what your mood and personalities are but dave you talked about no new stars what about rena rena Sayama, Is she a star to you That's a great question. Saw Rina Sawayama live,
1: Hold the Girl Tour, the last stop on the North American leg of the tour in Boston at Roadrunner, my first time at that venue. Uh, This was a rescheduled show. supposed to have happened early November, but Rina had to uh, reschedule a number of shows last month because she lost her voice, so I just had to put them off a little bit. But I think that's a great question. Is Rina Sawayama a star? Because if you recall... The second album, Hold the Girl, did not have those album sales that we were hoping to see from someone's second album after a lot of critical acclaim and popularity online. Didn't seem to be bearing out in the mainstream. However, I think the fact that she can tour the United States and sell out 3,000 person rooms across the country is the most important thing when it comes to evaluating an artist's actual, like, degree of success, right? Um, She does have that fan base. And that's also the way that an artist actually makes money. So in the grand scheme, I think she's doing just fine. And, you know, I had wanted to see Rena last spring this year, which was a postponed COVID show. It was her first show in Boston. but That was like a club show that had been sold out, like, you know, before the pandemic happened and before she really like took off in the U.S. So this was, I think, her return to like, the uh, touring and like her current status as an artist so happy to see it and i thought she was really great um i think what stood out to me right away was her vocals were just really stable live like i thought she sang great and did a thing that we've talked about before i think a lot of people experience in their lives where you see an artists uh, in person and those songs that you know from the studio recordings are actually livened or better and more enjoyable in that live setting. People can check our review of Hold the Girl, the album, youtube.com slash nostalgia pod. We had mixed feelings on it, I think partially because it wasn't quite as experimental and forward-looking as her debut album, Sabayama was. Not necessarily that it was bad, but it just felt a bit safer, uh, not as um, exciting, right? However, a lot of those songs that we weren't like super impressed with, I thought were awesome live i was really digging it songs mm. like catch me in the air hold the girl title track hurricanes like she was like ripping into it i think the the live drums and the live guitar like were such a huge help too like that was like my first takeaway was i thought she just really crushed it with songs that i wasn't a huge fan of you know even like the slower stuff too like um like bad friend off the first album and uh like, Send My Love to John, like, the ballad stuff. It's like, you know, she's just, like, a really great singer. Like, it just, it's, like, r- really
0: happening. Um, I, th- that, I think It's over- great to hear, too, especially when she takes some time off for the vocal uh, fry, you know? Yeah.
1: No, totally. And I, well, I think what's a really cool touch, too, is, like, you wouldn't, like, consider Rina Sayama like a huge, like, dancer. She's not. But, like, the dancing is, like, I think just, just, like, staged enough, just, like, theatrical enough with the two backup dancers with her. And, Along those lines, she did an outfit change in sync with every like genre switch she did with the set list, as we know from the two Rena albums. And I think a big reason why Rena got so popular and well liked critically was that range of music she has. Right, so going from like that power rock stuff to the straight up new metal two thousand stuff, to then the more like y vocal pop. And then, of course, ending with like this hell, which is like throwback country pop. Like it was really cool to see her like switch her persona, switch her outfit across this the, you know, the, the performance, and have that match the actual like level of music she was doing. I, most artists can't do that, right? Because like they don't have that that genre range. But that was like yeah. really cool thing I noticed like in the moment.
0: Man, uh, it sounds like she, for someone who is still on the rise, is pretty confident in terms of how she's like framing these uh live shows how she's going about like executing it and the fact that she like levels up the performance live is such a good uh i think a a good sign of her true artistry i think when you go and and you hear songs and they don't really pop as much live you're kind of you're, you're you should be a little suspicious about how good this artist actually is
1: totally i totally agree um yeah and then i think like at the end of the day like it was cool to just be in a big room of people that like really know Rena's music, you know. Songs like "Coma de Garçons" explode mm, when you're in a room yeah. of Rena fans. Excess uh, as well um, comes back after the encore. Does this hell? A bunch of people were wearing cowboy hats to the show, <laughs> yeah. you know, getting in the spirit. Uh, yeah, man, it was a great time. I thought she was really good. Definitely, we'll see her again when that next album comes around. And yeah, like. It honestly, like, made me, like, reconsider some of my thoughts about the album, which I never thought, yeah. like, I would think. But, yeah, I thought she was really great. And overall, I've been a huge fan of hers, and she'll be, she's going to go tour this in Europe now, uh, into the new year. But, uh, you know, I'm curious to see, like, what's what's next, right? Because on this album, or on this tour, she always did, like, a cover spot. And she uh, for the last show in the U.S., she did what... Apparently her crew said was like the best cover she's been doing all year which is Brandy Carlisle's The Story and she yeah. said she actually met Brandy Carlisle backstage at Ellen John's show and like could barely speak cuz she was like you know like so starstruck and stuff but you know we've seen Rena like working with people like Charlie I wonder like like can she like really ascend to that next next level of stardom cuz as this tour is established like she has like real fans she's a very successful artist but like I wonder if like like if she can like really push forward to like some like huge collaborations i wonder if the next cycle we'll see
0: something like that time will tell it'll be fascinating to see she needs that that mainstream album to to kind of grab people so hopefully the next one has a little bit more popular appeal but we're gonna keep it rolling to an artist or a group that doesn't have a ton of mainstream popular appeal but the real heads know that 100 gex Is the future of music, and uh, (laughs) they're back with a a short little EP, Snake Eyes, Uh, just just three songs. Dave, how do you feel having Gex back after a two-year wait?
1: Uh, I feel good, because alongside the release of the Snake Eyes EP, 100 Gex confirmed that their sophomore album, 10,000 Gex, is coming out on March 17th next year. That was an album they announced the title long ago, right, but it'd been some time. And now that we know that that's coming and they still gave us a little taster in the meantime, how exciting! Because 100 Gex, as I think as people know, Dylan Brady, Laura Less, just hyper pop, uh, you know, the picture in the dictionary, it's them, right? Like that. This is what they do. This is what they're famous for. They're the face of this genre. And I think this brief EP, six minutes long, reminds you exactly what the Gex experience is all about. And I am very excited for 10,000 Gex because I thought there were a few moments on the short but sweet snake eyes that I liked quite a bit
0: yeah you know I like you said only six minutes but I think there's a lot here to uh to acknowledge and and to talk about and I think right from from the first song hey big man uh kind of hard to listen to that opening and not get beastie boys flashbacks oh yeah facts. and then like the rest of the song just feels like a Steve Aoki like Beastie Boys <laughs> remix and it's fucking electric and so much energy and you're just like, oh yeah, Dylan Brady can just fucking pump these out. No problem. Like he's, he's constantly, he's all over this, this genre right now. He's doing a lot of producing and collaborating and just, it immediately puts you right back into Gex's like uh wheelhouse with that, that first mm-hmm. track.
1: Totally. And I think track two, Torture Me featuring Skrillex. I was like, Jesus Christ, this is Gex doing their melody shit like they did on Money Machine, their biggest song. Let's fucking go. I think that one goes so fucking hard. The the Laura vocals are just so catchy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Laura sounds great in that. I for me, it wasn't one of my favorite tracks from this one, but um, I definitely appreciated it, and it was kind of interesting to hear Skrillex collaborating with them I mean it makes a lot of sense I just wouldn't have really put them together for some reason in my head
1: yeah no I agree about that I think in general I'm always just so perplexed when I see strokes pop up because he hasn't released a solo album since 2014 that's all right and his I'm his, not missing his, him. his last collab album, Jack U at Diplo that was 2015 so it's like been mm-hmm. a minute right but you look you look and like his his songs and his collabs and his features still do numbers I'm always wondering like what's that guy up to but him linking up with Gex, not, not a bad thought,
0: honestly. You know, um that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. What do you then, think um, about the last
0: one, Run Away? Run.
1: Yeah, I guess that's like that's like the closest they get to like a slower song, right? Like mm-hmm. a, a, a Gex ballad, quote unquote. So not what I would gravitate towards from them, but I still think it's pretty cool. um
0: It felt a little bit like a Porter Robinson like take. You know, yeah, it, it's Porter, so soft yeah. in the beginning, and then they kind of bring in a little bit more of the Gex production by the end with the heavy. Distorted uh bass, but Right. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that one was kind of forgettable.
1: Right. And I think well, just in general, like we have this the these three songs on Snake Eyes, and we have like some of the singles that it that have come out since the uh remix album, the hundred a thousand geeks in the tree of clues came out in twenty twenty. We've had uh, like Doritos and Fritos, Mimi Me, 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 Sympathy for the Grinch, but I think most notably would be the Laura solo track, Haunted, which became a hit, was featured in Euphoria season two, speaking of catchy Laura of Melodies that's another great example, so I think just like taking all of the last like year and a half, two years of Gex music in whenever form we've got it, putting that all together, like I'm just very excited for that second album, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like you mentioned, Dylan's been working with Charlie, he's been working with Rico Nasty, hasn't been quite as busy lately, which I think is a good sign they're probably focusing on themselves right now, but yeah, just because it's so unpredictable and so extreme. Obviously, we know it's grading to many. It's not for everyone, but it's just unique to me. And not that I love every song they make. I don't know how you could when it's this kind of music, but I always have fun being surprised by what they do. And that's why I'm really looking forward to the next record.
0: Always looking forward to the next Gex project. We'll be tuned in when they drop that. Hit that subscribe uh, and that follow on uh, Spotify. Go check out your rap and then follow our Nostalgia Best of 2022 playlist where we'll be adding a song from Itzy for the second time this year. They're back with a short little EP, Cheshire, uh, after their last, uh, they dropped Checkmate back in t- July and uh, we yep. did review that, so check that out, youtube.com slash pod. But Dave, this this four song, 12 minute EP are you right back into the the itsy uh web so to speak are you down for the itsy again
1: honestly i am i since we listened to checkmate i've become more of an ITZY fan it's going back like a few years to their big single wannabe which is rising up my k-pop song rankings all time i really dig that one and i think this is just like why i like k-pop is like they just love to just drop drop some songs on us like this, mm-hmm. the second EP in five months. Fuck it, let's go. You know, <laughs> I think it's a lot of fun. And shesher you know, like you said, four tracks. It's quite brief, but the the title track, the music video song, the banger that we know every K-pop release has, Shesher, The the that I think I actually like more. Than the previous EPs, "Banger," "Sneakers." I think Shesher mm-hmm. is really strong, and yeah. in general, I just like this group for. I think just like the melodies they often bring in, like I think often the the the, the vocal performances on those verses are, are good, but like the hook melodies often are just like really catchy to me, and yeah. I have a lot of time for this group.
0: Yeah, I agree. Cheshire is really strong, really catchy. And, you know, I I think just the playfulness of them comes across in all these songs. They just feel very like lighthearted and fun and exactly what you want pop music to be. I think the first two Cheshire and then Snowy, which they interpolate for release, like the classical song, you know, when they do the (laughs) da 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 da, like around the chorus, just like very funny to me that they did that. But it works so well. Um, I think those two are by far my favorite songs off this. Um what what about you? Honestly of Cheshire, any other songs stand out?
1: Uh yeah, so I think Cheshire's, like you said, um it just has so many moments, right? Like I think the baseline too, just like the production on this I I quite enjoy. Um Snowy, like like you said, there's just, there's always moments, right? Like it's the um like they think the like the na 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 part, like there's always like these like little vocal ticks that like the way they sing them, they're just, like, so catchy that it's, like, sticking your brain. Um, um, Was it a Freaky? Uh, The Harmony on that from all of them, like, I think that sounds great too, really groovy song. And then Boys Like You, I think, is, like, the most unusual of the bunch because that's an all-English track. Definitely feels a bit from a different genre. A a, kind of, like, a throwback pop track from them. But I think just overall, like, I like their presence on the mic. I think the the two rappers, uh, Yeji and Rujin, like really like how they sound and yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing what's next from them too like they were the eighth most streamed k-pop act this year on Global Spotify. pretty impressive for a group that's only been around a few years and I think they're kind of quickly like taking up that space as like one of the top, if not the top like fourth gen k-pop acts you know acts that debuted in around the 2020s this new era we're entering in with k-pop they seem to be towards the front of that and definitely hope a a full-length album is on the horizon after a year of some EPs. but yeah i think um a a lot of their tracks so far the past few years i think just there's just a lot of like fun qualities to what they're doing so hope they keep it up
0: uh i think they're a K-pop group that will continue to rise. JYP Entertainment has a strong group here. We'll be talking about them as they hopefully just continue to drop these small little projects for us to enjoy. Dave, let's talk about another K-pop artist and really a king of K-pop, RM from BTS, getting that that final album out before he goes on to do his uh, military time over Mm -hmm. in South Korea. And he's dropping Indigo this past Friday. Were you pleased with what you got?
1: Yes, I was digging (laughs) RM's Indigo, man. I like this quite a bit. What about you?
0: Yeah, you know, I I think there's like a point in the, the album where there's a bit of a some some swings at some different genres that didn't totally work for me. But the first half of it is really, really strong, in my opinion. And then he kind of brings it back around with a couple of, of similar tracks at the end. So I think there's some times, some songs in the middle that didn't really work for me so well, but the stuff we get at the top is just like, how could you not enjoy it, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, I think um, well I've, I had a lot of anticipation for this, as we know, BTS on temporary hiatus, they've announced that they're all gonna make their plans to do their military service after they all do their solo drops, and then it sounds like the band's looking to reconvene together in 2025 you know the the military service is like a year and a half commitment so it's going to be a while but in the interim we got the j-hope solo album which we were quite surprised in a good way by earlier this year uh Jin released a solo single and is about to do the military service very soon and now we have the rm album and i think i always gravitated towards him Early on, I think a big part of it, like, you know, as a Westerner, like, he was the most fluent English speaker. So, like, it was easy to, like, I think, get attached to him as, like, an individual, uh, as a personality. But I also, I've always really enjoyed his rapping. Like, I always think thought he had really strong flow and presence on the mic as one of the main rappers of BTS. And, you know, I had heard his last mixtape, Mono, in 2018, which I thought was pretty good. But... I was definitely curious, like, what would this RM solo be, you know, post, uh, BTS break. And I think because it actually surprised me a bit with, like you said, like he's, he's trying a few different things on this record, which I was uh, surprised to see in a good way, you know? And man, I, I think, um, he, I think he kind of earns like the reputation he's had as, you know, he's one of the chief writers, Of BTS he's a co-writer on damn near every song they've ever made you know he produces as well he's like that whole package when it comes to like a k-pop idol so him finally getting to make something he really wants to make which is what he's talked about a ton in the press leading up to this you know needing that creative reset after nine years of BTS and being so famous and I think RM specifically also having to be a spokesman for the whole band and become a spokesman for Korean culture in the West, and he's spoken about the challenges they've all faced, you know, they've been put in front of the United Nations and the White House, and it's like, I don't know if this is all for us, or we're the most qualified to do this, but it's always been RM, who I think has had to bear the brunt of that responsibility as the one who was most fluent as an English speaker, so I I was just curious to see, like, what would you bring into your music that you really wanted to make before you have to, of course, go off to the Army for a bit, so... I think meta-wise, there was just a lot of interest on my part going into this, which
0: I don't necessarily have for all the other guys in BTS. I think that he completely delivers on this, and I, you know, right from the get-go, you get Eric Kabadu, then you get Anderson Park, back to back, just a hell of a way to fucking introduce Quex. yourself in your solo career. Um, but those first three, Yun, Still Life, and All Day, are just impeccable in my opinion just really really strong songs um Eric singing the hook on yun is just fantastic still life sounds so like like anderson pocky in the best way possible yeah, and fits into it so well and then all day is so smooth and like energetic it's like how can you really not love those first three i don't know
1: totally and i think what's cool about this record too imagine all day featuring tableau and you have other people on this record like Eugene later on Wildflower, which seems to be the big hit here. These are Korean artists that are not on HYBE big hit. These are not like BTS label mates. Mm -hmm. RM is actually making music with non-label mate Koreans. And like, you don't see that all the time in K-pop music where the label has a lot of control over that. And I think that was just like really exciting to me where it's like, you have a song like all day. Tableau is like, RM's like, korean hip-hop og in a sense someone he's a big fan of who was a kind of a forefather of his and i mean i think the flow on that track is so damn good from both of them you know and that's just really cool to see a song like wildflower eugene is a korean rock star the korean rock band bringing someone like that in and i was like man these vocals on the feature some 2000s emo vibes to me Mm -hmm. pretty passionate you have to think um so yeah, I, I was I was quite pleased with the guests. Obviously, I'm not being very familiar with most of them, but I was like, wow, this is. I think it's just it came across as quite inspired to me.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you on Wildflower that, and um, even the last song number two with uh, Park Ji Yoon, I thought were really strong ways to end it. Um, uh, number two is just so like catchy in terms of its like melody. You know, the da 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 da. da. Like you're just like. <laughs> It's like a elevator music, but like the most catchy, wonderful way possible. Um, I think that the times when things didn't really work so well for me is when he tries to turn it down. And, you know, potentially if I knew what he was singing about and I understood the language, I'd have a different take on it. But mm-hmm. for me, it, if if you're not really bringing the energy and, and you're slowing it down, it's a pretty quick skip for me a lot of the time so right after um all day you get forgetful with kim Sawal, and then closer with paul blanco and mahalia and both of those were tracks that i was like just not feeling as much
1: yeah i didn't feel those as much either although i do think on closer the paul blanco uh singing like i thought the vocals were quite strong kind of reminded me of like a rod wave type Mm. in terms of like an emotional wobble in his voice yeah like sad singing you know yeah but uh yeah, I think then after that you have change part two, which is like a, a brief song, but it's also a sequel track to a random R M song from 2017 that he made with Wale of all people. <laughs> um, things change, people change, everything change. It's like okay, I get what you're going to. It's a nice lead up into Lonely, which I think Lonely to me is my favorite track on Indigo uh, because it's it's very lively production, right? Uh, more more uh, more electronic. But you have like this acoustic strumming, but then you get into the chorus, and you have RM saying, "I'm fucking lonely," but it's like this upbeat production, and I actually really love that juxtaposition of these, um, moody lyrics with this like lively, production. And RM spoke to Variety about this song and saying that he wrote this song earlier this year in April, when he was stuck in a hotel in Las Vegas. If we remember, the permission to dance on stage tour happened. BTS performs for a week at Allegiant stadium in Las Vegas and makes like $35 million. Meanwhile, RM can't leave the hotel. And he writes this song about how he was actually feeling while that was all going down. I was like, shit, dang, I understand why he wanted to make something for him in the form of his solo record. You know, it makes some sense. He's had a busy
0: nine years. Yeah, definitely. Um, Again, I I really think for a solo album, I was just impressed with this. You know, I I think like you laid out really well in the preamble to this uh, review, he just is a really talented member of BTS and just K-pop and musician in general. Um, And I think you really see his talents come across on this. And even if it it didn't hit fully for us, I'd like to hear people that actually do know the languages take on some of the slower songs. And if maybe some of those lyrics are really meaningful or or how they came across um it's hard to judge the songwriting for
1: us no totally and i I think of like some of the most popular bts songs are songs that i i don't really connect with because they're slower but like bts fan bts army like rides for songs like spring day which are super slow and emotional Mm -hmm. right so i would not be shocked to hear that bts fans do dig these slower songs in fact because as we said like rm knows his way around making a song that's quite well established so yeah i'd imagine he's uh gonna get into the military service and get it out of the way pretty soon um just get it done you know and i think he's he's established enough as a soloist that when he comes back while the rest of the guys are still in the in the throes of the military stuff i would not be shocked to see rm start doing guest guest spots right mainstream stuff right like he I was doing press a few months, like a month ago with Pharrell for like Stone, right? Like I think like they're, they're in the music base at this point. So I'm sure we'll see RM uh, do more solo work when he comes back before BTS return returns. But I'm also wondering what's next for the BTS solo projects, right? Um, we've gotten three so far if you, counting the Jin, Jin single. I think Suga the most established soloist in terms of previous solo work, but I can't help but be pretty interested in what the Jung-hook solo album is going to be because he was the number one K-pop soloist this year in 2022, Mm. just based off a few singles and like the Charlie Puth feature and stuff like that. Mm. And he just seems to be so, so famous as a soloist. I'm curious what that one will be like, Um, but I'm sure we'll find out about it soon. It sounds like there's a, a plan for all these guys to stagger their releases
0: and then go off
1: to train. So we'll be hearing from somebody soon, I imagine.
0: Uh, so be following us so we can you can catch that review for Jung Hook when it uh hits the the streets. Also follow our Nostalgia Best of Twenty Twenty Two playlist on Spotify. Metro booming though, it's closing us out today. Uh, back after Savage Mode Two with heroes and villains. Dave, uh, he's not Mister Right, but he's Mister Right now. And Metro just always seems to fucking get the most out of these people that he's he's working with and I think that just continues on Heroes and Villains I I, I don't think that this is um uh, I don't think there's any of the, the bangers similar to Mr. Right Now like I don't know if there's any tracks on this I'm going to be like ah oh, that's like top 10 of the year for me maybe you'll mm-hmm. have a different opinion but just a really pleasurable listen throughout and 21 Savage everything he's on I just really enjoy he might be my favorite like rapper at the moment
1: I think that's right uh metro Boomin, of course coming up right alongside 21 savage with the first savage mode back in 2016 and since then is he not like the preeminent rap producer in the last five years i was thinking Uh, about i think so i think he is you know and a big part of that has been his association with 21 we love savage mode 2 at the end of 2020 but even before that of course he did without warning with 21 and offset and he had his other solo record um uh, only heroes wear capes, and it's like he just like, like I think he said it right. Like he he brings out the best out of his guests in the way like a DJ Khaled does not, obviously, you know. <laughs> and Met- Metro Boom and production, whether Twenty featured on it or not, the Metro production in general, like I've always just admired. Like it has like a cinematic like glossy sheen to it, totally and he really knows how to go into the darkness especially when you have someone like 21 rapping over it and like man like he, he can make those beats that'll haunt your dreams like he can get, get really dark and it's it's just so fun but like the way he sprinkles in like like piano keys and stuff like mm-hmm. it's it, it's funny i think to hear like this kind of darkness in trap production of course we associate that with drill production all the time but to get it for, i think on the trap side of things I think speaks to like the metro personality in his music, and yeah, like I think there's there's just a bunch of fun bangers on this one shocker, right
0: <laughs> yeah, I know it, it's like you go track to track and you just find yourself like bopping along and just totally into it, by like the twenty second mark of every single one uh also he just has a great um like call tag, the metro just like yeah. a great great metro call don't tag. trust you, He's gonna shoot you. Yep. Still true, oh, I mean maybe one of the greatest drops ever, and yep. we can't listen to it anymore. It's too bad. Um. Anyways, uh, Dave, tell me what what was like the first track on this album that really just grabs you?
1: Honestly, superheroes. Sorry, superhero track two with future. I thought future yeah. sounded great, and the horns for Metro on superhero Some sounds those awesome.
0: <laughs> so good, and I I couldn't believe how much I was enjoying future on this track. It's been a long time since I I think I said that.
1: Yeah no no i th- I think that one's great. That one's currently number three on u s Spotify right now. Not surprised. I think that one's awesome um then yeah, like I think you just you just kind of like rip through it right You have a lot of twenty one on this you have a lot of Travis Scott on this. I think Travis sounds pretty good overall, but I think obviously we're gonna gravitate towards twenty one right now and once we get to umbrella with twenty one oh, yeah. and his cousin young Nudie, like as soon as like the beat drops in, you have twenty one just going okay. <laughs> okay 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 so i'm funny, like man. let's fucking go and is it the best 21 feature of the year no it's not we've we had a lot of good ones with on her loss of course but i love them and i think nudie sounded great too and i just have so much time for like 21 on metro beats at
0: this point still umbrella is is so great because you have the like chorus like tuned up and just like totally driving it home the first like 25 seconds and then it all just fucking gets ripped away and it's just like one piano key and just 21 like okay and you're just like oh (laughs) we're we're fucking doing it it's just so it's so good uh yeah I thought that one was really great you know I actually really liked a lot of what we got out of Don Tolliver on this Mm -hmm. I feel like he shows up on a couple of songs that I don't typically I think Move towards him as a, as an artist, but like I I liked around me quite a bit. I thought that one was pretty good. Um, I like the beat on that a lot, obviously, but that like uh quick uh percussion with then the the slower one on top of it, I thought was great. And then um the interlude um what's it called there? I'm, I'm I lost it here. Uh oh, just a few songs later, I can't save you. Interlude with uh future and him. Right, is like maybe my favorite beat on the whole thing. And I think he sounds really great on it. Um, so I think those two Don Tolliver songs really surprised me in terms of how much I liked them. Um, what else stood out to you?
1: Uh, I quite enjoyed Creepin' with The Weeknd of 21, which is currently number one on US Spotify. And that, I actually I didn't realize this until I looked it up, but that is a remake of a 2000s R&B song by Mario Winnis, uh, I Don't Want to Know.
0: Oh, you don't know that song?
1: No, I don't really know that song. Uh, oh, Twenty One replacing so the Diddy feature, of course.
0: The Diddy feature is so good. That's one of my favorite. Like, I could probably wrap that whole verse for you right now if you wanted me to. I won't. Yeah, but I could.
1: Two thousands R and B is a bit of a a hole for me, admittedly. But uh, that's cool. That's inspired for sure, right? Definitely. I think Metro said his manager actually suggested he like flip or remake that song, and that's where it started. Pretty cool. Um, after the Weeknd sounds great on that, and then you have Twenty One. Dropping and still finding a way to fit on a song with the weekend sounds awesome right after that niagara falls travis and 21 that one's pretty good um at the end i really enjoyed um oh, sorry welcome down with the piano for metro yeah. on that just really oh, great so
0: you can't jump over that one also yeah. the fact is called walk down don't kill civilians <laughs> it's fucking hilarious
1: right 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 and then um feel the fire you know a uh, posthumous takeoff first i think the first one we've heard uh still so fucking sad about that mm-hmm. and then a uh, rocky i thought rocky asap
0: rocky sounded great yeah i i really love the the way they work in and he, he, and he did this a lot on this but having the like kind of sped up uh beat underneath and then bringing in some like slower beats on top of it is just really uh really worked for me on this and yeah on feel the fire i feel like he does that really well um overall just from start to finish, a lot of bangers, really enjoyable album. Um, you know, I was trying to think, like, what was the, like, is there any other like producer like albums like this that are at this level? That's I a mean, great like, question,
1: right? If you think of like recent producers, like no one, no one's like on the Metro level, right? I think of like a Take Heath or a Jetson Made or a Take a Date Trip. None of those guys are like right here. You'd have to like go back to people that are like predate Metro a little bit, like Mustard or. Mm-hmm. even further back like hit boy alchemist i think those are the guys that like in terms yeah, of like, album making cool. are like on this level um they're probably above metro's level you know in terms of making stuff with like freddie gibbs or um uh, black thought or whoever it might be you know but um, I, guess I think you know, the fact be... that he's in company with producers like that who have had a career twice as long as him is uh, uh, yeah. does a lot so yeah i think he's i mean obviously he's like the face of atlanta producing right now Absolutely. You wouldn't put Kate Trinata as a producer, more of a... I mean, I wouldn't put him as a rap producer. No, no. he's a producer. Yeah, for sure.
0: Uh, We love him, but no, I mean, he doesn't really make hip-hop. True. Alrighty. Well, we're going to wrap up there with the music for this week. So again, Nostalgia Best of 2022 on Spotify. Dave, it's been 10 years, though, since the last Sights and Sight and Sound Greatest Films of All Time poll. And uh, not only have they given us a a new list but they given us uh i think some interesting changes in the list as well as and i think that's really buoyed by the fact that the number of participants in the pool in the poll doubled uh since the last time they did this so a lot more voices a lot more uh opinions on yep. here um more women they, more people of color thankfully absolutely um and, and you, i think you definitely see that in a lot of the The movies on here but dave number one if i were to tell you that the number one film of all time is gene dealman a uh belgian film? film a belgian film from 1975 would you call me crazy i mean i definitely wouldn't have expected it uh
1: that's for sure i think i did know a bit about the history of this list too vertigo of course hitting number one last time around in 2012 ending a five-year run of citizen kane at number one which of course would date back to 1962 because they do this every 10 years so yeah i definitely wasn't wasn't seeing that coming but you know in, in listening to people talk about it uh people that have seen the movie i have not seen it uh it is cool i think to see like a more like newer recent admiration for a classic of the past get manifested on the list in this way i think like you said speaks to the greater voting body on this but uh yeah talk talk about inspired i think overall though like if you look at the top 10 you look at the top 100 looks pretty good i mean i think they they're they're really they're really I think picky with who they invite in but it's, it's a lot of critics and it's a lot of directors and uh, i think the bfi british film institute which runs this runs the magazine like I think they did a pretty good job and it, it to me like it, it just kind of like a cool document like to look at so I've looked at the 2012 list many times before and for me really it's like as like as a film fan who's watched a lot of movies I think it also makes me aware of all the movies I still haven't seen and a list like this definitely like reiterates that right it's like oh I know that's great I just haven't seen it yet you know
0: yeah absolutely i mean just going through i was like oh yeah i've seen maybe like 20 to 30 of these you know it's yeah there's it's about there's 30 so much uh so much on there that you know you really have to be like a, a deep film head to have gotten to all of it um yeah you know I, I i think it's interesting to see the critics poll and then see the results of the director's poll right, right they are separate um, so the the director's poll the number one spot is uh 2001 a space odyssey which uh you know if, you, if you're a betting person you probably have that as like a top five no doubter right. yeah. um
1: it's only number six on the critics poll
0: only number six not even top five which is crazy <laughs> uh in the mood for love uh 2000 yeah. movie that i had never heard of one car
1: why uh, man yeah that's his yeah. most popular movie for sure
0: um but yeah that I, i'll admit one car why definitely a uh a blind spot in my movie watching um experience but yeah the the director's poll, I think, is a lot more in line um, with what I expected. You know, uh, two thousand one, Citizen Kane, The Godfather, top three. I mean, that that just makes sense to me. Um, Dealman, uh, Gene Dealman, is number five on that. Um, with Vertigo, right. number six. So a lot, a lot of overlap. But um, yeah, it, I mean, talk to me about the new movies that made it on though, because it's right. not maybe the movies you'd expect.
1: Yeah, and I think um, twenty twelve, I think only had like i want to say like two movies get in from the 2000s and like the previous decade and that was an open question going into this something i definitely was thinking about myself it's like what movies of the 2010s will crack in there right we did a best movies of the 2010s podcast at the end of 2019 check that out um great year for movies but like what, what can like crack in the top 100 films of all time it's such a you're competing against the rest of the history of movies. It's, it, it's a tall task. It's nothing against the 2010s. And I think in general, having more time away from that decade and the movies that came out in that will probably buoy further movies' chances of eventually cracking in, right? So in the meantime, we only got four. I think that's actually quite strong, quite inspired oh, yeah. to get four 2010s movies on the list this year. And those four would be Get Out, Moonlight, Parasite, and all the way at number 30, Portrait of a Lady on Fire insane
0: What portrait of Lady on fire first of all above those three i would never put it above those three and then at number 30 all time what, what was your take on that
1: so i think i, I had to take that i think i, I saw a lot of you had to it's like oh man that's tough for portrait because it's like portrait of on fire does not deserve like like hate like this mm-hmm. you know yeah um I, I do think it's an inspired pick to put in there though are those my f- top four movies of 2010s they're not but like in terms of like making this list, like I was like, yeah, I, Parasite was the one I was like really hoping would get in. and I was thinking about that and like the, the follow up the week, the week leading up to this. And I'm really happy to see that in there. You know, that only came yeah. out in 2019. It's so new. Um, you to also get Portrait, though, which also came out in 2019. Uh, it's pretty cool. Pretty crazy, though.
0: You know, it's it's funny when you when you talked about this list coming out. The first one that came to mind for me was Get Out. I figured Jordan Peele would probably get on there in some way. and Get um, Out makes the most sense. So, it, but it only came in at number one hundred. So, barely cracked the list. Um, but I was definitely glad to to see that Parasite makes so much sense and probably is the the one that should have came to mind for me. Right. Um, and Moonlight, I feel like, is fairly inspired too. I mean, obviously, it had the uh, very dramatic. Um, oscar win and had a lot of love beautiful movie i guess i just didn't didn't think it was going to be worthy of a list like this but really glad to see it on there and and great look for barry jenkins just kind of continuing to anoint him as a filmmaker and i I think that's the thing is like you know out of the the four filmmakers represented by the new movies at least three of those i think we would say are probably like three of the best people making movies right now so it makes sense
1: Again, apologies to Celine Siyama. Yeah. but yes, I agree. Um, I think like, what do you think is like a really like, credible case to crack this list, right? Because like my number one movie was this, of the 2010s is The Social Network, Fincher. But like I understand why that maybe doesn't get on there, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I think something like Mad Max Fury Road, though, perhaps, has more of like a posterity case for something okay. like this. It's an interesting question. You know, action, you have to you have to also general. think of international film as well, yeah. um, which is a, I think a big part of how Portrait and Parasite crack through here. Of course, neither one is an English movie, but um, yeah, I mean it's it's quite challenging, right? Um, like Tree of Life I, is that on there? Because that came out in twenty eleven, right before
0: twenty twelve. I don't think so. Tree of Life isn't on there, right? For Malick, no, Tree of Life didn't make it. Yeah. Um yeah. You know, a, a lot of genres are. Not as represented on this as you might expect. I think there's only like one or two westerns. I don't think there's yeah. many. Searchers um, is right
1: there towards the top.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of like action films no. um, on here. And so, I, I think, uh, you know, I guess like Blade Runner might be like one of the only like sci-fi ones that in space Odyssey. But I wonder if Blade Runner twenty forty nine, you know, eventually could make it on there. Not I don't know about know. that.
1: I feel like there's other, other sci-fi classics you could go to first um hmm
0: yeah you know it's it's hard to think about like now like and you're talking about in the last decade what other movies yeah. can make it on
1: yeah
0: yeah it's, it's really tough I me social network i think could make sense i think it's actually a. I think it's a movie that's made that's aged well in a lot of ways but also with how much things with facebook and now meta have like shifted it's like yeah. almost kind of like aged poorly in a way because it's so old <laughs> and right. with how fast it all moved maybe something like ladybird Greta Gerwig, that's a good call.
1: I, that's I more. Can see um, that. I think that's something that kind of is adds more timeless feel to it yeah. because it's already set in the past. You know. Um, yeah. No, it's uh obviously it's it's impossible to make a top hundred that would please everyone. We know that, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, I, I think BFI and Sight and Sound they really take it very seriously and you could tell like the critics that i follow that like did happen to have a vote like they were sharing their list and it was just really cool to see individual ballots and stuff and uh i think it's just a really cool uh effort that happens and the fact that it's once every 10 years
0: too makes it like a really big thing you know mm-hmm. yeah definitely uh cool to talk about and a cool way to think about movies but dave why don't we talk about a movie that i don't think will ever be cracking this list for many reasons, uh genre being one of them, but also just cause I think the uh documentary version of Meet Me in the Bathroom, the uh acclaimed uh uh biography or uh, not biography. Oral history. Oral history, thank you. Yeah, from twenty seventeen. Yeah, of the two thousand tens uh two thousands and into the two thousand tens rock scene in New York City um by Lizzie Goodman. Um just uh fell completely flat and you know it it, something that's co-directed by will lovelace and dylan southern i think as a showtime product this it has to be one of their like biggest disappointments because this is so ripe for like a documentary series you could have even followed like an every band that's listed in this book and done like an episode on them something similar Mm -hmm. to like things hbo has done with their music documentaries like you think about sonic highways with the foo fighters and whatnot and there is so much potential here and just i think they really misfired in, in the telling of this and the framing of it and just in general like how many voices they had like it felt very like sparse in terms of the different people who are kind of commenting on it just overall i I didn't find this to be compelling at all what about you yeah i think it's important to like restate the meet me in the bathroom
1: oral history book by mm-hmm. lizzie goldman is a critically acclaimed like music book yes from five years ago there's a ton of attention when that came out and a ton the headlines that came out of the book itself right which is briefly mentioned i guess in this doc which of course would be Ryan Adams being at fault for getting how Hal- Albert Hammond struck out on heroin, basically. And the rest of the strokes being fucking pissed about it. You know, mm-hmm. that was like a big, big, big headline, big, uh, I guess controversy because Adams denied it when it, when, the, when the book came out,
0: but Ryan Adams pretty much a uh, confirmed piece of shit. Way, right. So.
1: And I was actually curious how much Ryan Adams we would get in this doc, because since the book has been written, uh, the myriad misconduct allegations have become the light mm-hmm. against Ryan Adams. But yeah, I think the issue with this doc is, a, is a, the, I think, a key fall in, like, the form of documentary filmmaking, which is, like, if you don't have any access, then there's no point. Like, this is so much more surface level than the book. And if the Strokes aren't going to participate in your documentary when they are the key figure of the whole doc... What are you giving us? Because all the footage we do see, all that archival footage, of oh, that's new. Strokes fans have seen that shit before. So, like, we're nothing's being illuminated on, nor is it, I think, going far enough to visually represent how far the book did go and was so beloved for going, you know? So it's just kind of like a nothing burger to me. And, man, it is just disappointing because, like, the, the book reception went like it is a really uh potent topic to explore the 2000s rock scene in new york and what that represented um i think of like like writers and podcasters that we both listen to like people like chris ryan at the ringer like were there at the time and have spoken about experiencing that in the moment you know it's like it is i think a really like iconic like time in like modern music history mm-hmm. and you know it around the Strokes and the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, an LCD Sound System, and Interpol, uh, primarily, and yet this this doc just feels kind of aimless in how it goes through things. And we quickly brush past how 9/11 affected things. We quickly brush past all these bands rising to fame. We quickly brush past Karen O, perhaps giving us the most interesting thing in the doc, which would be how she felt. Uh, different and perhaps ostracized for being a woman in the scene mm-hmm. at the time. They're just not giving any time to that. But that was actually, I think, one of the most compelling aspects that they could have went into further. Completely. They also quickly brushed past the fact that this scene, perhaps in some way, may have contributed to the gentrification of Brooklyn in New York City. You know, like they, they don't commit to anything, unfortunately, with this documentary. I might have missed it. Did they explain why
0: it's called Meet Me in the Bathroom?
1: I think that's just a reference. Oh, it's a name of a stroke song, right? No, and I'm not aware of that, but I think maybe. it is.
0: And I think in general, it's just a reference to like come do Coke with me. Well, yeah, they they actually have a story in the book about this, like person in this scene who like was like kind of known for, you know, basically being like come to the bathroom and do this with me. And it's like, I mean, it's actually like a really funny story at the beginning of the, the book that I feel like would set the scene so much more. And and i haven't finished reading this it's kind of a you know Mm -hmm. pick up a few pages here and there when i get to him about two-thirds of the way done but one of the things i really love about the lizzie goldman book is just how it really like puts you in a place and you feel like you're in these clubs like experiencing what these like shows were like what the scene actually felt like to be a part of no smartphones yeah exactly it's just like people like hanging out writing music um people being inspired by each other the co- the competitiveness between them all um which i think was also like buoyed by this camaraderie between them and you just don't get any of this feel right. in this and you know you mentioned how there's not a lot of new footage and even the stu- like some of the interesting stuff we do get from you know james murphy of lcd sound system which i was like of course james wanted to fucking participate in this like he's a pretty like self-centered neurotic mm-hmm. type of guy um It's not really like all that well, like constructed. Like all of a sudden, he's like, Yeah, you know, I was producing DFA and then Rapture didn't really want to keep going. And so I was like, Oh, my life's falling apart. I might as well put a song out. And then I'm in Europe touring on this song. I'm like, What? Like,
1: (laughs) I had to get a band.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's like, What? All all of a sudden, I mean, like, I, as someone that just loves LCD, I, I ate a lot of that stuff up. But when like the movie ended, I was like, What the fuck was going on there? You know, and, for a lot of a lot of the book uh they talk about the strokes first tour over in the uk and they touch on this when um interpol goes and tours right however everybody's just like yeah. do you know the strokes but right. like the stories from the strokes tour over there is like one of my favorite parts of the early book like all of their like shenanigans and you just like it, it did not have that in there it's like what yeah. are we fucking doing like,
1: young julian casablanca is, is clearly like one of the most compelling figures. Yes. from this whole period right and he's like it's like oh he he doesn't like being famous it's like okay can you give us a little bit more than that <laughs> you know <laughs> like, jesus yeah, and, christ you know it, to confirm it it is a, a stroke song on room on fire okay gotcha.
0: um but it, it's just a uh a totally like for for what this could have been just a, a total disappointment, and it's the sort of thing where, like you said, if you can't get this access, this is the sort of thing you could come back to in ten years when these people hopefully are more willing to talk about this and like right. reminisce about this, and it would have hit just as much then. But
1: right, and, it, and that's it. the and that's the weird thing to me too. It's like um another thing they rushed is like file sharing, you know, Napster, LimeWire. <laughs> I would love to hear more about that, but like Julian Casablancas. To his credit, I guess, is like a true like rock star guy. He does not want to sell out, so it's not surprising that he doesn't want to participate in this doc. However, Lizzie Goldman was ma- managed to write the book. What if you just made like a super like down the middle doc with a bunch of talking heads? Because Lizzie Goldman talked to a bunch of people to write the book, mm-hmm. did she not? Maybe a you could talk people. to them too for the documentary. I don't know, but like there's just not enough of a point of view. Like, yeah. And it just it's kind of rips through a bunch of stuff, but it just it just feels like cliff notes, you know, so uh, quite yeah. disappointing.
0: you mentioned the stuff with nine eleven and like talking about how the city became you know cheaper because you know people were moving out of it after the attack, and it just felt like kind of short sighted to the time I mean like nine eleven completely changed you know, the the city and the way people felt about New York. And I think that's what made this scene so special. Was it like made people feel like there was something exciting again about the city? You know, something like, yeah, something that only you could experience here. And they just don't even like capture that well. And it's like, if you can't even like now the 9-11 parts, like I really don't know like who Greenland lit this, but nope. (sighs) Disappointing. I think it's time to move on though, because I, I can't keep talking about how sad this made me feel. Um let's wrap up with Willow. The Disney Plus version, I guess I'll say. Fantasy
1: series, sequel series.
0: Fantasy series, sequel series, yes, thank you. Um Lucas Film, which I was like, huh, I don't know if I've ever like I don't know if I can recall seeing Lucasfilm on a non Star Wars product. So that was story that was by George Lucas, lest we um, forget. Dave, I mean, this this Willow series. How are you feeling after these first two episodes?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm not, like the biggest Willow guy. I I'd, I've seen Willow once, the film. I, I saw it later in life, though I didn't see it as a kid. Uh, 1988, um, of course, starring Warwick Davis, who I have a lot of time for as Wicket the Ewok in Return of the Jedi. So, you know, this is like something else that George Lucas got to do uh with Warwick and uh directed by ron howard but like to get this i wasn't like clamoring for like more willow right but i guess in, in the age of ip it does make sense that uh this came to be it sounds like uh, jonathan casden the son of lawrence casden really pushed this show across the finish line getting it made and whatnot um yeah i i definitely enjoyed the first episode quite a bit i think willow kind of like exceeded my expectations in terms of establishing this cast of new characters all these young people from from various walks of life and how they're together on this quest i actually liked how they kind of set all them up yeah is it a fantasy story that will have a lot of familiar beats yeah for sure but like i actually enjoyed them and i think the part that maybe is a bit more wait and see with me is how does like willow himself Willow the character you know our our wily sorcerer from the first movie, the return of Warwick Davis, who doesn't act a ton, at least not like as like a leading type role. How will he fit in? Because I I was actually really digging like the dynamics between all our young performers, right? You have some people you might recognize like Aaron Kellerman and Tony Rivalori, right? Um, But like, how will, uh, how will Willow himself fit in? I think that's still a bit more up and down or or wait and see anyway. Um, Notably, Val Kilmer is not back as Mad Mardigan, um, you know, n- unsurprisingly, of course, given all his health issues. But um, yeah, I-, I thought it was pretty fun, you know, as a fantasy show. I think Willow, like the film, the series seems to be establishing it's a bit more of like a more whimsical take on fantasy storytelling. It's not quite as dark, uh, self serious as other fantasy stuff that we might see. And I think for some people that's positive, for some maybe not so much, but you know, I think it's uh Tonally, so far, I was uh, I was p- picking up what you're putting down, so I'm, I'm I'm intrigued to see how it continues. What about you? All right, have you seen the Willow, Willow film?
0: Um, no, I haven't. And so for me, it was just kind of like, oh, this is. I, I didn't think I was like missing too much. I definitely thought they do a lot of
1: exposition good. early on, so that they you do. don't need to have seen it. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, you know, I think actually my my biggest critique was the tone for me because I wasn't really sure what they were going for at times yeah. it felt like too silly for me you know kind of like they were going for more of like a teen like uh teen adventure type of feel and then there were other times when it felt like pretty dark and like actually like off-putting like um all of the bad guy characters i forgot their names um but all all the ones that can like shape shift um you know like it, or in the second episode the the knight who's like also like kind of like a fast like zombie type guy i thought that like that felt like more scary and like serious um you know obviously you get flashbacks to some of the like uh some future battle scenes or i guess they're flash forwards to battle scenes and that looks Mm -hmm. pretty like gory so like you know i was like i was just having a hard time kind of figuring out like what what they actually were going for in terms of this series. I still think there's enough here to like keep it interesting. And um I'm I'm looking forward to just kind of like how they kind of pull all these pieces together, especially because I, I did not expect uh Alora to uh be you know captured at the end of the second episode. Spoiler alerts. Um uh, mm-hmm. but yeah overall I, I, I thought it was interesting enough. Mostly I, I was taken out by the, the fact that the Spider Man like bully kid is uh you know such a prominent character Tony Rivalori
1: yeah. yeah he's like was... the, the bookish prince who is yeah. betrothed to someone he doesn't want to marry
0: I was like okay sure um it's nice to see you but it's also a little off-putting because I just want you to be like the snarky Spider-Man kid. no
1: that's exactly how I felt though I don't want him in a reined-in performance because he's, he's he's charismatic enough that like you like him as Flash and Spider-Man right mm-hmm. and like he feel like he feel like he's trying to like rein in himself yeah, as exactly. this guy on Willow.
0: No, I completely agree. Um, you know who I did really like, though, was uh, Amar Chadha Patel. I thought yes. he was really strong as He's Warman. like the Mad Mardigan
1: stand-in, basically.
0: And he, yeah, he, he gets the he gets all the cool lines. He looks awesome. You know, long, flowy hair. Oh, yeah.
1: Um, that's yeah. his stud, for sure. Exactly. Yep, I liked him a lot. Um, and that's why, I, like I like that dynamic of like everyone on the quest out there in the world, yeah, I feel like they all seem to mesh pretty well show looks pretty good too. shot in Wales. Like I just them being out and about once they're away from the castle, looks pretty good. Um, yeah, but like, I think like plot wise, I'm not like super invested in, in, in at all. I'm just kind of enjoying the, enjoying the ride. So I'm curious about like how the willow of it all goes, you know, like I said, TBD there, um, John Chu actually from crazy rich Asians was supposed to make this show and he had to step away last year. Um, wonder if his take would have been radically different you know um but i think this is probably the first like big big in quotes but like big like marvel disney or sorry disney plus show that's not marvel or star wars it's still lucasfilm but like probably their most significant new series that isn't marvel or star wars right
0: yeah i'd I'd say so in terms of new property um, right obviously there's like
1: you know unscripted stuff that's watch like they moved dancing with the stars to disney plus but like exactly. in terms of new, new scripted series i feel like this is probably it um curious how how well it does too because like willow is a was a modest success and then a big home video success but more on the cultish side of you know fandom than you know star wars for
0: example mm-hmm. so
1: i wonder like how how this will pierce through as the holidays come up right
0: yeah definitely um you know this is the the prime time for a show to kind of <laughs> capture something for the holidays, but I I don't, I don't think this is gonna be it. I don't know why, just you know, I I don't know if people are going to Disney Plus looking for something um, if if they don't know that it's coming, like a Marvel or a yeah Star Wars. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it will be. Maybe I'll be wrong. Been wrong plenty of times. Um, any any other thoughts on this? Nope. All right, let's wrap it up there for this week. Then, Dave, what do you got for next week? Yeah, we got some, I think, bigger
1: ticket stuff next week. End of the White Lotus Season 2. Very excited to get into all that. Uh, Sophomore album from SZA. At last, five and a half years later. It's finally coming out. Of course, she waited till the end of December. (laughs) (laughs) Nevertheless, (laughs) we're ready for it. Uh, The Will Smith comeback. Apple TV Plus. Emancipation. Antoine Fuqua film. It's here. They're putting it out. We'll talk about it. also uh, guillermo del toro's pinocchio is coming out uh on netflix and apparently it's a lot better than the abomination that robert zemeckis made for disney plus a few months ago
0: ah well you you know big big pinocchio stands over here so hit that subscribe <laughs> on youtube.com slash nostalgia and go to our twitter at NostalgiaPod to find our link tree and follow the podcast any way you want to we'll catch you next week